All right, well, we're there in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and on Sunday nights, we've been going through a, a series on the crowns, and we were, look, we're looking at every crown the Bible mentions that you can earn in heaven, and tonight, we're going to look at the crown mentioned in verse number 19, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 19 says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? And the Bible here mentions a crown. We've talked about the incorruptible crown. We've talked about the crown of life. we talked about the crown of righteousness. Tonight we're going to talk about the crown of rejoicing. And the crown of rejoicing is often referred to as the soul winner's crown. That's how I've always heard it referred to as the soul winner's crown. And you'll find the reason in verse 19. Notice what the Apostle Paul says to uh, uh, his converts there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? He says, Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ and at His coming? So he's talking to his own converts and he says, You are my hope and you are my joy and you are the crown of rejoicing. I'd like you to keep your finger there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's going to be our text for a little bit. But find the book of Psalms. Psalm 126, and I'd like you to look at verse number 5. Psalm 126 and verse number 5. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Psalm 126 and verse number 5. And I'd like you to notice Psalm 126 and verse 5. Some similarities to the wording in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Notice what the Bible says. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth. Now, I want you to notice that phrase, goeth forth. That's similar to, uh, like in the Great Commission, where he says, go ye therefore. Or he says, go and preach the gospel. He says, he says they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. Now, what's the seed? That's the word of God. And he says, he that goeth forth and bearing precious seed, notice, shall doubtless come again with, and I want you to notice this word, rejoicing. Do you see that? Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. That's the same as the Apostle Paul saying, there's a crown of rejoicing. He says, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, what's a sheave? It's a bundle of wheat. It's the fruit that has been produced by harvesting and you're in now you you produce something and he says this individual that went out and sowed the seed and now they've raped what they sowed he said they're coming back rejoicing bringing their sheaves with them now here's what i want you to understand in in first thessalonians if you make your way back to first thessalonians chapter two let me give you a couple of statements before we get into in, into the sermon first of all let me say this i'm not sure that there is an actual crown called the crown of rejoicing. I mean, the Bible mentions here a crown of rejoicing, but it may just be that your converts are the crown, because that's what the wording in the verse seems to indicate. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Look at verse 20. He says, for ye are our glory and joy. Now, there may be in heaven a, a crown that is given to, quote-unquote, soul winners, uh, and it's called the crown of rejoicing, or it may just be that your own converts, as you are bringing in your sheaves with you and you come with rejoicing, it may be that those people that you get to rejoice with in heaven and, and, and get to celebrate the fact that you got them saved and you brought them to church and you uh, uh, invested in their lives, it may be that they themselves are the crown that you're going to receive. But here's what I want you to understand. I personally don't believe that the crown of rejoicing is something that is given to a soul winner. And let me explain what I mean by that. I think there's more to it than just that. And I'm going to prove it to you from the text here that I, I, I think when we think of soul winning, and don't misunderstand me, soul winning is important and soul winning is the main thing and we push soul winning around, around here at Verity Baptist Church. But I think when you study out this idea of the crown of rejoicing, it's not something that is simply giving to a, given to a soul winner uh, as, as you and I would refer to a soul winner, but it's someone who is pushing the entire agenda of the Great Commission. The See, the Great Commission is bigger than just soul winning. 
The Great Commission, and we'll look at it here in a minute, is yes, soul winning, salvation, but it's also baptism, and it's also discipleship, and it's also getting people connected and helping people grow. And I believe this crown of rejoicing is something that will be given to those who, yes, you have to be a soul winner, but it's more than that. It's taking it a step further, and I want to show you that here in, the, in this passage. You don't have to turn here. We're going to look at this verse later, but in John 15, 16, Jesus made a statement when he was talking about his disciples bringing forth fruit he said that your fruit should remain and that's what we want we want fruit and we want converts and we want to be the type of soul winning church that doesn't just go out and get people saved but we then are effective in bringing those people into church getting them baptized helping them grow helping them get connected the crown of rejoicing is given to the person that is pushing the agenda of the entire Great Commission. Now, here's what I want to do tonight. I'm going to give you, as quickly as I can, three points to kind of explain the biblical philosophy behind soul winning, follow-up, getting people saved, getting people baptized, getting people in church. And I'm going to prove to you why I believe that this crown of rejoicing is more than just for simply going out soul winning. But then I want to give you, I want to end with just giving you a lot of practical tips, just things that you can do and that I can do to help push the agenda of the Great Commission. But let me begin by just giving you three uh, biblical philosophies found in this passage in regards to the crown of rejoicing. And I I would hope, you know, this week, uh, what, what did the bulletin say? This week, our church had, uh, what was that? Good night. What did I do with my bulletin? Our church this last week had 48 soul winners out. We had 30 adults and 18 children out soul winning. And I would hope that everyone who goes out soul winning at Verity Baptist Church would have a desire to not just go and knock doors and say, I did that, but that your uh, goal would be to have a convert with you sitting next to you, someone that got baptized as a result of your uh, ministering to them. I mean, that's the goal. And, and listen, you know, sometimes people say, well, what, you know, what's so great about soul winning? Soul winning gets real exciting when you get somebody saved. And soul winning gets really exciting when the person you got saved comes to church. And soul winning gets really exciting when the person you got saved comes to church and gets baptized. And it gets really exciting when they start soul winning and they start bringing converts. And that's the goal. The goal is for us to be reaching people, teaching people, helping people. And if that's the type of soul winner you want to be, I would encourage you to pay attention tonight and, and, and take notes. And let me give you three quick points in regards to the biblical philosophy behind uh, behind follow-up. Number one, for those of you that are taking notes, write this statement down. If you're going to be an effective soul winner who, who, who's, who's pushing the entire Great Commission, you're going to have to learn to communicate more than just the gospel. You're going to have to communicate more than just the gospel. You're there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse number 8. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And verse 8, he said, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you. Notice what he says. This is a shocking statement if you don't understand the philosophy behind soul winning. He said, We were willing to have imparted unto you. Notice what he says. Not the gospel of God only. He said, We did not. Paul said, My Goal was not to simply impart unto you the gospel of God. He said, my goal was not just to knock on a door, preach the gospel, and leave. He said, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because, we, because ye were dear unto us. And let me explain something to you. The problem with most soul winning and the problem with most soul winners is that we're happy to only impart the gospel. Virtually every church I've ever been a part of that did soul winning, most of the soul winning was basically you knock on someone's door, you invite them to church, you ask them if you can present the gospel to them. When they agree to it, you give them the gospel, you go through the sinner's prayer, and then you walk away and it's just like, see ya, you know? And And you never think about that person again. You never, you know, pray for that person. You don't even remember their name. You can pray for them if you wanted to. And it's just this thing where, like, I got him saved. 
and praise the Lord, and we come back, and we high-five each other, and we get all excited. And, and here's the thing, though. The Apostle Paul was one of the most effective evangelists, soul winners, missionaries, whatever you want to call them. I mean, the Apostle Paul, the Bible tells us, Jesus told us John the Baptist was the greatest man to walk on the earth, but I believe the Apostle Paul was the greatest soul winner that ever walked on this earth. I mean, as far as missions and, and, and church planning, if you're saved tonight, you probably owe your salvation to the Apostle Paul. And here's why he was so effective, because he was more than willing to just impart the gospel. He was willing to communicate and impart his entire soul to people. He want, when he looked at people, he said, I want to just get this person saved. He said, I, I want to develop a, a, a friendship with this person. I want to develop a, a relationship with this person. Go to Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew 28. And, you know, this is, this is the, kind of, the kind of things I, I dream about when I'm soul winning. I, I, I tend to be a, a, a visionary type leader. You know, I, I, I'm always thinking of the future. I'm thinking about what God can do, and I'm, I'm developing plans and systems and organizations for how to be able to do more than we're doing now, and, and, I, and I need to get better at that. But I, I, I you know, I, I often when I knock on someone's door and I'm giving the gospel, if I if I'm, feel like we're connecting and they're grasping what we're saying and they're kind of treading, you know, along, and, and I think this person's going to get saved, I mean, I start daydreaming about those people. I look at some of these guys and I think, you know, here's a future pastor, you know, here's a future preacher, here's a future, you know, uh, a pastor's wife, or, you know, this person's going to get connected and this person's going to get sold out, you know, and sometimes, you know, I take that a little too far and then they're not interested in coming to church, but, you know, the Apostle Paul said when he got someone saved, he was more, he, he wanted to give them more than just the gospel. And here's what you need to understand. The Great Commission is more than just the gospel. You're there in Matthew 28. Look at verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Notice what he says in verse 19. Go ye therefore and, number one, teach all nations. Now that's soul winning. That's going out, preaching the gospel to every creature. That's the first point. But here's where most soul winners end. And here's where most soul winners come short where they say, Well, that's it. I accomplished my job. I did what I was supposed to do. But notice he says, hey, we are to teach all nations. But notice number two, the Bible says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Number three, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. The Great Commission is getting people saved. The Great Commission is getting people baptized and then taking that person and that individual and teaching them the Word of God discipling them and helping them grow. He said in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now let me go ahead and make this disclaimer before we keep going. I realize that most people that we get saved are not going to be interested in us following up with them. I get that. And that even happened to Jesus. Remember when Jesus healed the ten leprous men and only one came back and Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? And he said, where are the nine? And, I, and, the, and the, the numbers are similar for us. I get that. Most people that we get saved are not going to want us to follow up. They're not going to want to come to church. And, and we understand that. But, but here's what I need you to understand. If we do not impart more than just the gospel to someone, let it be because they chose that they did not want us to follow up with them, not because we weren't willing to. Not because we weren't, uh, you know, willing to give our, of ourselves and give of our lives and, and work a little harder. Let it be because they shut us down, not because we never gave them the opportunity. So here's what you need to understand. If you're going to be a soul winner that's going to earn the crown of rejoicing, who's going to be able to look at converts and say, you're my hope, you're my joy, you're my crown of rejoicing, you're my sheaves, you're my converts, you're the ones I'm going I'm to bring you, I'm going to present you to Jesus and say, look, look who I brought with me. If you're going to be that type of a soul winner, you're going to have to decide that you will communicate more than just the gospel. It's not enough to knock on a door, get somebody saved, and then, you know, high five your silent partner and just walk away. The apostle Paul said, I'm willing to give more than just the gospel. Number two, let me give you a second statement. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 not only are you going to have to learn to communicate more than just the gospel, but number two, you're going to have to commit to nurture your spiritual babies. You're going to have to commit to nurture your spiritual 
Babies, here's what you need to understand. We're going to look at it here in the Bible. When you get someone saved, that's your spiritual baby. You say, well, God got him saved. But here's the thing. God couldn't do it without you. The Bible says that we go in Christ's stead, that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we go in his place. And here's what you need to understand. God is not coming down from heaven and knocking on anybody's door and getting them saved. God cannot get someone saved without you and I. And and by the way, you and I can't get anybody saved without God. We are co-laboring together. We are co-laborers with God. And notice what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 7. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a, notice this phrase, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Paul says, I was gentle with you. And I treated you like a nurse, as gentle as a nursing mother is with her child. Notice what he says in verse number 11. He says in verse 11, As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you. Notice what he says. As a father doth his children. Here's what he was telling the church at Thessalonica. He was saying, my relationship with you was like the relationship of a mother with her nursing child. My relationship with you was like the relationship of a father with his children. He said, I exhorted you and I comforted you and I nurtured you in the way that a parent would, would, would exhort and protect and bring up a child. And, and, and you find this all throughout the Bible. Let me show you. Go to First, uh, First Corinthians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, chapter number 4, and look at verse number 17. You, 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 you'll find that you see this all throughout the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, notice what the Bible says. It says, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus. I'd, li- I'd like you to read the next, the next phrase with me. Let's read it together out loud, all right? Who is my beloved son? That was weak. Let's do it again, all right? Who is my beloved son? Now, I want you to understand something. Timothy was not, Timotheus was not the Apostle Paul's physical son. But he was his spiritual son. He was someone that he helped bring through those steps of salvation and baptism and discipleship. And he called him, he said, he said, Timotheus, who is my beloved son, go to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1, you've got, you got if, if you're 1 Thessalonians, you're going to go past 2 Thessalonians into 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Look at verse number 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 2. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 2. It says, unto Timothy, let's read it together, all right? Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. Do you see that? Now it's his son in the faith, all right? Not his physical son. He said, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 2. Just flip one page over, a couple pages over. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. Notice what he says. He says to Timothy, let's read it together, my dearly beloved son. Do you see that? He called him my dearly beloved son. Go to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Look at verse number 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse 1. Notice what he says. He says, Thou therefore, let's read the next two words together, okay? Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Are you noticing that the Apostle Paul, when he had a convert, when he had a disciple, when he had someone he was working with, he saw them as a spiritual baby and he committed to nurture that spiritual baby? Let me give you another example. Go to Titus chapter number 1. Titus chapter number 1, just flip Flip to the next book there. Titus chapter number 1. Look at verse number 4. Titus 1.4. Notice what the Bible says. To Titus, let's read it together, mine own son after the common faith. Now again, is that his physical son? No. It's after the common faith. But what do you call him? He said, you're mine own son. Go to Philemon uh, uh, chapter number 1, verse number 10. Just uh, next book over. 110, notice what, the Bible, notice what Paul said. He said, I beseech thee for, let's read the next three words together, my son Onesimus. Do you see that? 
Here's what I want you to understand. You say, why was the Apostle Paul so effective in evangelism? Why was he so, you know, so, so successful when it came to reaching people? Here's why he was successful. Because he was more than willing to impart just the gospel. He didn't want to just knock on the door, get somebody saved, high-five somebody, and walk out and say, we're good to go. He said, I gave people, and I communicated with people, and I imparted more than just the gospel to them. You say, well, how did he do that? He committed to nurture his spiritual babies. He looked at, a, at a, a brand new baby that just got saved, and he said, I'm going to do everything I can to nurture this baby and bring this baby up. My, my wife and I have four children. We have the fifth on the way. And you know what? When, when, when that baby is born, we, we do home births. When that baby is born, and we have a midwife there, and, 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 that, and, that, and the, the baby comes out, you know, I don't, I don't just high-five my wife and say, yeah, we did it. Great. And then we look at the midwife and say, what are you going to do with that thing? <laughs> look, giving birth to a baby, that's not the end game. It's not like, okay, I get, we gave birth, we're done now, right? No, no, the job just started. I mean, you just begun. Giving birth, that, that's, you know, that's just step one. Now you've got years and years and years and years of training, years and years and years and years of feeding, years and years and years and years of correcting and helping this baby grow and mature. Why? So that they can one day grow up, get married, and do the same thing. And in the Christian life, it's the same way. See, we, we've got this wrong mentality. We think, oh, let's just go out. We'll knock on someone's door. And we're doing the equivalent of having a baby and just leaving him at a doorstep. And walking away and saying, well, we did our job. No, 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 no. Our job is to nurture that baby. Our job is to invest in that baby. Our job, and let me tell you exactly why the average soul winner doesn't do this, because it requires work. Raising children requires work. Raising children requires money. Raising children requires a commitment. So how can you be a soul winner that gets that crown of rejoicing or brings that crown of rejoicing with you? Number one, you've got to communicate more than just the gospel. Number two, you have to commit to nurture your spiritual babies. Number three, you have to connect new converts to the church. You have to connect new converts to the church. Can you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? Look at verse number 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. 1 Thessalonians 2.14, notice what the Bible says. He says, and I, I want you to understand, the Apostle Paul is, is speaking about a, a different subject here, but we can glean something from what he says. In verse 14, he says, For ye, brethren, notice what he says, became followers of the churches of God. I would commit to you, and I would submit to you that the Great Commission is not soul winning. The Great Commission is church planting. We, we get this idea like, oh, we're going to reach the world through soul winning. No, 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 no. We're not going to reach the world through soul winning. We're going to reach the world through soul winning churches. Because what's needed is not just soul winning. What's needed is soul winning, baptism, and then teaching them to observe all things. Sunday, what do we do here on Sunday morning? What do we do here on Sunday night? What do we do here on Wednesday night? Why do we have a discipleship class? Why do we have, you know, all these different training things and, and, and soul winning seminars and all these things that we do? Why? For one reason, because we're trying to teach people to observe all things. That's done through the local church. If we're going to reach this country, if we're going to reach California, if we're going to reach the world, it's going to be done not just through soul winning, but through soul winning churches. And the Great Commission is churches. This weekend, we were in Texas. I was, I was preaching in Texas. Pastor Anderson was there uh, with, with me, and, and, and we were helping get a brand new church going. And today they had their first service, Old Paths Baptist Church, San Antonio, Texas. Say, why would you invest time going over there? Why would you invest, you know, uh, uh, you either, or weren't there things for you to do? Look, there's all sorts of work that could have been done here. But our, our, our vision has to be in starting and planting and helping churches uh, that are going to go out and, and, yes, be soul winners, and, yes, get people saved, but also connect people to that church. Go to Acts chapter number 2. Just real quickly, Acts chapter number 2. I'm going to finish the biblical philosophy part. I'm going to get into some real practical things. Acts chapter number 2, and I'd like you to notice verse number 41. Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 41. After soul winning, 
The church is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Acts chapter 2, notice verse 41. Notice what the Bible says. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word. Remember, he that goeth forth bearing precious seed, right? You need the word of God for someone to get saved. Then they that gladly received his word. Those people that got saved. Notice, were baptized. Isn't that what the Great Commission says? Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And the same day they were added unto them. Added unto who? The church at Jerusalem. They were connected to the church. About 3,000 souls. And what did they do? Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is that? What is doctrine? Doctrine is teaching. Doctrine is learning. The word of God. That's teaching them to observe all things. And fellowship. That's the church family. And in breaking of breads and in, prayer, and in prayer. See, here's what you need to understand. If we are going to be soul winners that get souls baptized and get souls discipled, we're going to have to do more than just present the gospel at the door. We're going to have to be willing to commit, to nurture, to communicate more than just who we are uh, and more than just the gospel to these believers. Now, let me go ahead and say this, and just to kind of give you a mindset about, you know, I, I, over the last five years, we, we, we started Verity Baptist Church. My wife and I started the church five and a half years ago or whatever in our living room. And we started with, you know, just a handful of people. And here's what I've noticed about uh, getting people in church. Here's what I've noticed. You, if, if you can hit these three things with someone, you're probably going to have someone who's going to stick with you for a while. And, it, and I, I've noticed it's these, these things. Number one, if they are learning if a new visitor or new convert, new uh, whoever, guest comes in and they feel that they are learning from the Word of God, they are likely to stay. Number two, if they are connecting, if they are developing relationships, if they are creating friendships, they are likely to stay. And number three, if they are serving. Here's what I've noticed. Our most faithful church people are the ones that are learning, are the ones that are connecting, and are the ones that are serving. Now, here's what I've also noticed. If we can hit two out of three, that's okay for a while. The goal is to get everybody to hit those three. If we can hit two out of three, that's okay. If they're learning and connecting, maybe they're not serving yet, that's all right. Maybe they're learning and serving and not really connecting with anybody. I don't really like that, but, but, but that, they'll, they'll stick around for that. But if we're just hitting one, you know, all they're doing is learning, they're not going to stick around. You know why? Because they can learn on YouTube. They can download an MP3 file. They can listen to preaching all day long. If all they're doing, you know, the average church today is that they're connecting a whole lot, but they're not learning anything, you know. If all they're doing is serving, they're going to feel like we're uh, using them, you know, and abusing them. So here's what I've learned. To get people connected into church, they need to be learning. They need to be connecting. They need to be serving. And those are the goals we need to be. You, you say, I'm bringing a brand new guest to church. You know what you need to try to do is try to get them to learn. I'm going to do my best to help you with that. Try to write sermons and study for sermons and prepare sermons where people are learning the Word of God. And then we've got to get people connected, the fellowshipping. The helping, you know, uh, becoming friends with each other. And then if we can get people serving and, and, and doing something, they are, those people are the most likely to stay. So what, what's the biblical philosophy behind being an effective follow-up, uh, soul winner who follows up? You have to communicate more than just the gospel. You have to commit to nurture your spiritual babies. And you have to connect new converts to the church. All right. Now, let me give you some tips. I'm, I'm going to kind of shift gears in the sermon, and I'm just going to go through a list of some effective tips that you can take for reaching people with the gospel and for being an effective soul winner and being effective at follow-up, all right? Some of these, some of these things, I, I may give you a verse. I may just explain it, and maybe you can write these down. But let me give you some tips for effective soul winning. Number one, and I'm not teaching you how to be a soul winner. We have a soul winning seminar to do that. I'm just going to explain to you how to be an effective soul winner. Number one, be consistent to soul winning. I mean, that should be obvious. Who are the most successful soul winners? The ones that are there every week. Just every, and by the way, that's just a key to success in life. All right? Just consistency is a key to success and whatever. You, you, you know why most people fail at diets? Because they're just always on a break. It's like, you know, I, you know, 
How's your diet going? Well, you know, I'm on a break today. It's like you just started this morning. What do you mean, you know? And, like, people are just constantly, they're just inconsistent with exercising, inconsistent with budgeting, inconsistent. Any, you know, consistency is the key to success just in anything. And if you want to be an effective soul winner, you've got to be consistent. Just show up every week, every time, and just say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the type of soul winner who's consistent. Number two, uh, tips for effective soul winning. Do not be rude or upset with people when out soul winning. You cannot be rude and you cannot get upset with people when you are out soul winning. Go to the book of James. I want you to see this first. James, uh, if you can find the book of Hebrews. James chapter number, uh, let's see, where do I want you? James chapter number two. No, that's not where I want you. Good night. I, I, wrote, I think I wrote down the wrong verse. Uh, good night. Oh, James chapter 3. That's where I want you. James chapter number 3. Look at verse number... Let's just begin reading at verse number 5. Notice what the Bible says. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. That's quite a description about the tongue. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poisons, now, I want you to notice verse number 9. And I think verse number 9, you know, describes a whole lot of soul winners. Notice what he says. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. I'm shocked, you know, by the, the, how much this happens in soul winning. And look, I've been soul winning, my, I've been soul winning since I was four years old. I've been in all sorts of soul winning churches. This has happened in, I mean, I've done this. Let me go ahead and confess that. This has happened in every church I've ever been in, and it's happened here. Where we have soul winners, and we're just walking down the road, and it's hallelujah. It's praise God. It's, you know, we're out knocking doors. Praise the Lord. Then you knock on someone's door, and they're rude to you. And they're mean to you. And they say something to you, and then all of a sudden it's just like, you stinking this and you stinking that, why don't you just go to hell? And I'm just like, hey, look, I mean, the Bible says, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men. Notice verse, verse 10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Listen, when we're out soul winning, we are uninvited guests. They did not send us an invitation. We knocked on their door without asking. And I think it's something that we should do. And I think it's something God called us to do. And God said to go from house to house and door to door. And we ought to do that. But listen to me. When we're out sowing, we need to be extremely careful that we're not getting upset and being mean or being rude and using the same tongue that we were just blessing God with to now curse man. It's, it's, it's ineffective. We need to make sure that we keep cool and keep our calm and realize that we are here to preach the gospel. Look, if they, if they reject God, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. And we just need to just realize, okay, let's just move on to the next door. So tips for effective soul winning. Number one, be consistent to soul winning. Number two, do not be rude or upset with people when out soul winning. Don't, you, 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 I mean, it's like you're about to use that tongue to present the gospel to that individual. Now you're cursing them. Now you're yelling at them. Now you're arguing with them, now you're fighting them, and now you're making the church look bad because now we look like a bunch of, you know, angry, whatever. Number three, let me give you another, another uh, tip for effective soul winning. Dress to represent Christ and the church properly. Dress to represent Christ and the church properly. Let me go ahead and say this, and I don't have time to get into it. Uh, and, and explain it from the Bible. So I'm just going to make this statement, and if it offends you, I apologize, and you can ask me if you need questions. But at Verity Baptist Church, our position is that ladies wear skirts and dresses and men wear pants, period. That's what we believe. That's what we've always believed. You say, well, I don't agree with that. That's fine. doesn't make a difference to me, but that's what we believed when you got here. That's what we've always done. Now, I don't understand this thing where women think, oh, I'm going to go out sewing a pair of pants. You're misrepresenting who we are. Now, look, women can come in here wearing a pair of pants. That's fine. 
Why don't I have an issue with that? We're not going to mistreat them. By the way, you ladies, don't walk up to some guest lady wearing pants and say, yeah, you shouldn't be wearing those pants here. That's not your place, all right? But listen to me. If you're going to represent us, why don't you represent us properly? Why don't you represent us accurately? The Bible teaches these things, and I've preached sermons on it, and I've gone through it, and I don't have time to go that. All I'm saying is this. Represent us who we really are. You go work at McDonald's, you can't show up in a Taco Bell t-shirt. You go work at Burger King, you can't show up in a McDonald's you know, uniform. They want you to represent them properly. And guess what? If you're going to serve and represent our church, we want you to represent us properly. Number four, when you're out soul winning, stay together. Stay together. Uh, you know, we, if we assign you a partner, guess what that means? That's your partner. We didn't assign you a partner so, you, so that you can go one way and then go another way. You say, well, I don't like my partner. Get over it. Well, I, I don't get along with them. You know, turn the other cheek. Love each other and pray for each other. Do whatever you do. But we put you together for a reason. We do it, number one, because God tells us to do it. We do it, number two, for security. There's strength in numbers, so stay together for security. Number five, when you go out soul winning, uh, if, if you, if you want to be a, an effective soul winner, go soul winning at the most effective times possible. Go soul winning at the most effective time possible. Now, let me take a moment to, to kind of just explain a few things about this idea. The most effective time to go out soul winning is on Saturday morning, period. I mean, that's the most effective time. Let me explain to you the least effective time to go soul winning, Sunday after church. The least effective time to go soul winning. You say, why is that? Because you're more likely to get a visitor to come on Sunday morning, period. And when you go soul winning, literally the time the furthest away from the next Sunday morning is the most ineffective time to go soul winning. And I want to go ahead and explain some of this because I've had people recently, you know, make statements to me like, like, oh, this soul winning time that we have on Sunday, you know, we're trying to get it as big as Saturday morning. Let me explain something to you. No, we are not. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've never stood up here and announced a Saturday, Sunday afternoon soul winning time. I don't know if you noticed, it's not in the bulletin. It's never been in the bulletin. It's not something I'm promoting. It's not something I'm pushing. It's not something I'm trying to get people towards. Let me explain to you why we started Sunday afternoon soul winning. Here's why we started Sunday afternoon soul winning. Because our church has a lot of people that drive two hours to our church. And it's very difficult for them to go sewing on a Saturday, so we make that time available for them because they drive up on a Sunday morning, they go soul winning, they get lunch, they go soul winning afternoon, then they come to Sunday night church, then they drive home. We do that to help them. I'm not, I think that's great. I'm not, I'm not mad at people that do that. If that's what you've got to do to get your soul winning time in, get your soul winning time in. But listen, we're not pushing that. That's not the most effective time. We're not promoting that. I'm not announcing that. We're not trying to get people there. We're not trying to get that group to grow because it's the least effective time to go out sowing. The most effective time to go sowing is Saturday morning. Say, so what's the second most effective time? Friday. What's the third most effective time? Thursday. The closer you can get to Saturday, the more effective it is. So go soul winning. You say, I want to be a soul winner that produces, you know, uh, converts. And, and let me say this. I had a pastor call me. And he, and he said, Pastor Jimenez, you know, I know you guys have a lot of visitors at Verity Baptist Church. And he said, I'm struggling. We don't get a lot of visitors. And he said, I just don't know what I'm doing wrong. Can you help me out? And I said, and I said well, let me ask you this. When's your soul time? He said, Sunday after church. I said, well, do you have any other soul times? Wednesday before the service. I said, well, that's your problem. He said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, Sunday afternoon is the least effective time to go soul winning. You're least likely to have somebody come to church as a result of that. I mean, you're expecting someone you got saved on Sunday afternoon to remember an entire week later to come to church. And he tried to say, well, yeah, but it's more convenient because of that. I said, I said listen, I understand it's more convenient, but you got to decide whether you want to be convenience or whether you want visitors. Because here's the thing about preachers. We don't like to preach to empty chairs. You know, we want to preach to crowds. I said, why don't you do this? For the next six weeks, just go sewing on Saturday morning and see what happens. He called me the very next week. He said, oh, we had a couple of visitors on Sunday. I said, why? Because I went sewing on Saturday morning. I told him, there you go. It's, it's just, it's logic. It's common sense. We're not, we're not trying to convenience you. We're trying to burn you up. We're trying to consume you, all right? So if you want to be an effective soul, especially you guys, you want to be pastors, you need to get people in here. And you're going to do that on Saturday mornings. Thursdays, Fridays, those are going to be the most effective times. Let me give you another tip on effective follow-up. Let's kind of transition towards effective follow-up. Who do you follow up on? Usually, when someone gets saved, that's who we want to follow up on. 
Don't follow up on people that didn't get saved. If they didn't get saved, there's a problem there. Now, I will go ahead and say this. From time to time, there, you know, there may be a time when somebody didn't get saved, but you think like, man, if I talk to them again, they will get saved. They just have to think about it. I get that. Use discernment with that. But generally, we want to follow up on people who get saved. And here's the thing. We don't even want to follow up on everybody who gets saved. We want to follow up on people that got saved and seem interested in coming to church. Want to follow up on people who got saved and seem interested in coming to church. Let me read a verse for you. Matthew 10, 14. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust off your feet. God said to focus on the people that are interested. Focus on the people that want to uh, listen to you. He said if they don't want to receive you, if they don't want to hear your words, then depart. And, you know, let me explain something to you. When I get somebody saved, you know, we just got them praying, they got saved, the next thing I say to them is, hey, would you be interested in coming to church on Sunday? And if they say to me, well, you know, I mean, I don't, this Sunday, I mean, I'm just not sure. It's like, hey, listen, here's on the invitation, there's the address, Uh, we'd love to have you, you have a good day. They're obviously not interested. Why work on Sundays? Well, I don't know. I mean, I've got plans or whatever. But if I ask them, hey, you be interested in coming to church? I'm not saying they have to say, yeah, I'll be there this Sunday. But if they're just like, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about going to church, that's the person I want to follow up on, all right? So don't think you got to follow up on everybody you talk to. And don't think you got to follow up on everybody you get saved. You should follow up on those who got saved and those who seem interested in, uh, in coming to church. Do not follow up on someone who got saved and is not interested in coming to church. You, you don't have to follow up on everyone that gets saved. Now, let me give you some characteristics for people who are likely to come to church, okay? And you need to be listening for this. And maybe you're sitting here saying, well, I'm not a soul winner. This doesn't apply to me. Well, shame on you. You ought to be a soul winner. God, God calls all of us to preach the gospel. But let me say this. Even if you're not actively soul winning, you ought to be, li- as you're at the grocery store, you're talking to people, you're talking to neighbors, you ought to be listening for these three things, because there are three characteristics that help people be the most likely to come to church. Let me give them to you. Number one, people who are in trouble are the most likely to come to church. People who are in trouble are the most likely to come to church. Mark 2.17 says this, When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And when people express to you or communicate to you that they're in some sort of trouble, say, what does that mean? Here's what that means. They're having marriage problems. They're going through a divorce. They're, you know, they're having problems with CPS. They're having financial problems or they, they're having job problems. They, there's an unexpected pregnancy, whatever it is. When people are telling you, I'm going through trouble, you need to be listening for that and saying, man, you need to come to church. And that's soul winning. That's at the groceries or that's anywhere. I mean, someone's telling you, I'm going through problems. I'm, going through, I'm having health problems. They are the most likely to come to church. These, these are the people that are most likely to come to church, people who are in trouble. Let me give you the second one. People who are in transition. People who are in transition are the most likely to come to church. When they, if they just moved in the area, man, you want to jump on that. If someone says, you know, I just moved to Sacramento. I just moved to Natomas. I just got a job here. I just whatever. You know, those people have no friends. <laughs> they don't know anybody here. And we want to get them connected. They're probably going to stay at whatever church they go to first. So if they tell you, hey, I just moved here, you know, say, hey, you ought to come to church. People who are in transition that just, you, you know, what does that mean? They just moved into here. What does that mean? They just got married. What does that mean? They just had a baby. Those are the people that are most likely to come to church. Let me go ahead and say this. Because you, you should know this as a church family. Not only are people who are in transition the most likely to come to church, people who are in transition are the people who are most likely to fade out of church. Be mindful of that. Someone just bought a house. Someone just got a new uh, uh, job. Someone just, you know, uh, had a baby. At those times in life, during transition, that's when people are most likely to fade out of church. That's where you as a church member ought to say, hey, I've noticed you. How, how are things going? I, we haven't seen you that much lately since you got that new job. And just be careful with those and, and be mindful of those things. You say, man, this is a lot of work. Yeah, having babies is a lot of work. And raising children is a lot of work. People who are in trouble, people who are in transition, they just got married, they just moved in the area, they just had a baby. Let me give you a third one. People who are interested in being taught. People who are interested in being taught. If someone is expressing to you, yeah, you know, I like my church, but I just feel like I'm not really learning anything. 
I mean, jump on that and say, you ought to come to our church. I mean, let's face it. People are not coming to Verity Baptist Church because of our music ministry. All right? People aren't coming to Verity Baptist Church because of our youth program. People aren't coming to Verity Baptist Church because of our beautiful facilities. Do you understand that? I mean, most people that come to this church come for one reason. They want to learn the Bible. They, the Word of God is preached here. And they say, wow, I've never been to a church where I've learned so much. So if someone is expressing that to you, saying, yeah, you know, my church is nice. I kind of like my church. But, you know, I just feel like it's all shallow. I feel like the pastor doesn't really feed me. I feel like I, I always leave, you know, wanting something. Hey, jump on that person and say, hey, you got to come to our church. You got to check out a sermon on, on the website. You got to, you know... These are the people, these are the characteristics of people who are most likely to come to church. They're in trouble. Most likely to come to church. They're in transition. Most likely to come to church. They uh, are in a, they have a desire to be taught. Let me give you another, another uh, something you can be doing to be an effective soul winner, an effective person who follows. Give clear directions to the church building. You soul winners, you ought to just memorize. You ought to just memorize a, a little statement that you just have in your mind on how to help someone get here. And I mean, almost at every door, I, I say to people the exact same thing. You know where Fry's Electronics is? Oh, yeah, I know where Fry's Electronics is. Just go a little further down from the Fry's. There's a Wendy's. We're across the street from the Wendy's in the business park. I say, why do you say that? Because when they're coming here and they can't find us, I want them to say, oh, yeah, the Wendy's. Yep, that's where they are. He said it was around the Fry's Electronics. Oh, there's the Wendy's. So look, just give clear directions at every door. You say, well, I don't know how to get to church. Figure out how to get to church. You know, uh, look at a map and figure out what you need to say and just get, give clear directions to the church building. Number five, spend some time after you get someone saved giving them a verse or two about coming to church. Look, you just spent 15 minutes giving the gospel to someone. 20 minutes giving the gospel to someone. Spend an extra minute, say, hey, let me show you something. God wants you in church. You know, go to Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And give them a verse and spend some time after you get someone saved, giving them a verse or two about coming to church. Number six, ask permission to follow up with them and get their complete information. Ask permission to follow up with them and get their complete information. At Verity Baptist Church, we do our best for our soul winners when we give you invitations to go out soul winning, we'll add one of these little new believer follow-up cards in that stack. This new believer follow-up card has a place for you to write the date of first contact when you meet someone, a place for their name, address, city, zip code, phone number, a place for notes if you want to write down something that you found out about that person that you don't want to forget. Maybe they just lost a child. That might be a good note to write down. You know, they're in trouble. They're hurting. They need a church family. On the back, there's a place to write down a date of when they got saved, a date of when they got baptized. These are our goals. We want to get people saved and baptized. There's uh, three columns, one that says phone calls, and it has a place for you to write down uh, dates, one that says handwritten notes, and it has a place for you to write down dates, one that says personal visits, and it has a place for you to write down dates. And, you know, we'd like you to follow up on these people and keep track of when you've called them or when you've written them a handwritten note. Write the, the date there. At our church, we have for you a new believer's packet. I've never gone to a church that offered you a, a new believer's packet. I, I often, you know, my wife, I tell my wife all the time, our church people are so stinking spoiled they don't even know it. I mean, the, the things that we give you around here is crazy. I've never been to a church. We, we have these new believer packets. They're already assembled. They've got the postage and the return address. All you need to do is write the address and put it in the mail. And it's got a letter from the church congratulating them on getting saved, inviting them to church. It's got a CD about new steps for a first, uh, first steps for a new believer. It's got a CD, it's got a flyer, a nice glossy flyer about baptism. It has a coupon that says you can come redeem a free Bible at Verity Baptist Church. And people have showed up with their coupon saying, I want my Bible. Amen. You know, we say, we'll give it to you after the service. You got to stay for the service, you know. But, uh, you know, people come and say, hey, we, uh, you know, we want to buy. And, and here's the thing. You, you get that, you know, we give it to you. You just write the name down, put it in the, in, in the address, in the mail. Now you say, well, why, what's the point of your believer's packet? Let me explain something to you about follow-up. Follow-up is uh, awkward if you don't have a reason to follow up. You know, especially when you're the pastor. If you're just calling people and you're like, remember me from a week ago? Are you still coming to church? You know, it's kind of awkward. You know, it's kind of like, can you quit calling me? You're scaring me, right? <laughs> so you want to have a reason to call. Because here's the thing. If I put something in the mail for them, 
let's say on a Tuesday, they got saved on a Saturday, I put a packet in the mail on Tuesday, and I now have a reason to call them on Saturday and say, hey, I put, we put a packet for you in the mail, I just wanted to make sure you got that. Oh, yeah, I did get that. Thanks, I really appreciate it. That was really nice. Oh, well, yeah, no problem. Hey, were you still planning on coming to church on Sunday? See, that's a little more natural. It gives you a reason to want to call them. That's why we, we put on, you have on here, did you send them a new believer's packet? Yes or no? And a date for when you did that. We're trying to give you tools to help you follow up on, on, these, uh, in, uh, on these individuals. You ought to use this card to help you. Let me read the instructions on the card. It says, number one, pray for your new convert every day for one week or during the time in which you are actively following up with them. I'm amazed as to how much we don't pray for our converts. And we don't even remember their names to be able to pray for them. And, you know, we want to encourage you to pray for your convert. Study, study the, 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 the books of Paul. And notice how many times he says that he's praying for his converts and he's praying for these people and he's praying, you know, for these people. I got to say, he's always talking about the fact that he's praying for people and we need to pray for people. The, ne- the next thing is attempt to fill each one of these uh, above boxes at least once before moving on or giving up. We don't expect you to fill all of this up, but why don't you, you know, fill out one in each, you know, maybe one month you call them, one month you go by and visit, one month you write a handwritten note before you, uh, before you forget about them. And then you say, well, what do I do once I forget about them? Don't throw this card away. Wait till Easter or wait till anniversary Sunday. Give us the address. We'll send them a postcard and invite them. Just keep these people in mind. These were people that God gave you in your soul winning. We don't want to just forget about them. So... Give clear directions to the church building. Spend some time after you get someone saved, giving them a verse or two about coming to church. Ask permission to follow up with them and get their complete information. And let me give you some, let me give you some help with this. Don't hand this to them for them to fill out. Because if you say, here, can you fill this out? Here's what you're going to get. A first name and half an email. Why? Because that's all they want to give you. You know, when I, when I, here's what I do. I get somebody saved and I say, hey, you know, uh, would you be interested in coming to church on Sunday? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about coming to church. And I'll say something like this. I'll say, hey, look, my wife and I, we like to pray for people when they get saved. Would you mind if I write down your information? I'd like to pray for you and send you something in the mail from our church. Oh, sure, that's fine. Okay, what's your name? What's your last name? How do you spell that? What's your address? What's, your, what, what's the zip code here? What's your phone number? Is that a cell phone? Can I text you there? Is that all right? And just ask them, look, I've been doing this for years and years and years and years and years. I had one person say, one person say to me, no, I don't want you to write down my address. And I'm just like, fine. You know, no, I'm just kidding. No, I didn't do that. I'm just like, okay, that's fine. You know, see you later. And that's it. You know, here's the thing. You're never going to see that person again. So, you know, ask for permission. All right, let me say this. Number seven, focus on people who are younger and lower income than you are. Focus on people who are younger and lower income than you are. Jesus said that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said to focus on the poor. And you know what I've noticed at our church? Look, we just had an offering brought in $24,000, $18,000 committed to come in over the next three months, and I'm sure that will come in. Our church has a lot of people in the, that, that are successful, that God has blessed. I think we have like eight business owners in our church. But, you know, we don't focus on trying to reach people. You know what we do? We focus on the poor. We focus on the, uh, 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 on the people that maybe need help. And then you know what God does? He gives us those that can help us reach them. God blesses us and brings us people that can help, you know, pay the bills so that we can love on those that maybe need a ride, that maybe need a hand, that maybe just need someone to help them through a time of trouble. So if you want to be an effective soul winner, I'll tell you this. Focus on people that are lower income than you are or the same income that you are or are your peer in age or younger than you. Look, generally, you're not going to get someone who makes $50,000 more than you and they're 30 years older than you are. Generally, you're not going to get them to listen to you to come to church, you know? But focus on the people who are younger and lower income than you are. Number eight, offer to pick them up for church. Offer to pick them up for church. Now, look, if you're going to pick them up for church, there's a few steps you got to take with this, okay? Let me give you the steps. This is how you got to do it. I've been doing this for a long time, all right? If you, if so, you, you offer to pick them up for church, they say, yeah, sure. Here's what you got to do. The evening before you pick them up, you have to confirm by calling them or texting them. Just send them a text. Hey, are we still on for tomorrow? I was going to go by and pick you up. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Great. Praise the Lord. 
The night before, you got to call. The night before, you got to text to confirm. If you got a text, don't text them at 9 p.m. If you're going to send a text, do it early in the day. Give them time to respond. Or call. Now, here's a trick. An hour before you go pick them up, you got to call them. Not when you're walking out the door. Not when you're parked in front of their front door. An hour before you leave to go pick them up, you got to call them. Why? Because you got to wake them up. Because, you, got, you know, I mean, there's so many times where I've got someone set up for a ride for the church van. I call them an hour, and I'm like, hey, I was just going to let you know the, church, the van's going to be there in about an hour. They're like, oh, man, you just woke me up. I'm like, I know. <laughs> That's why I called an hour before, you know. So just an hour before you pick them up, all right, and, and don't text them because I won't, you know, wake them up. Number nine, have a reason to call or visit. Bring them a preaching city. Bring them a new believer's packet. Put something in the mail. Send it several days before you call or visit so that you can use it as a reason uh, to call. Number 10, if you're going to help a new believer get connected, if you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm going to help. You know, I'm going to talk to people about baptism or I'm going to invite people over to my house or I'm going to try to develop relationships. If you're going to help new converts get connected, and let me tell you something, that's a huge blessing. When we started Verity Baptist Church and there was 10 people coming, it was easy, you know, for me and my wife to just be everyone's friend. But as the church grows, look, we can't be everybody's friend. And, and by the way, let me say this. We can't be expected to do everything for everyone at our church. And, you know, that's under the sermon, but let me go ahead and throw this out there. Don't expect my wife to just be available for every little need that you have. All right, you say, well, she's the pastor's wife. No, she, yeah, exactly. That's what I want you to understand. She's the pastor's wife, okay? She's not the pastor's wife like she's your pastor. She's like the pastor's wife like she's my help me. And she's got four children that she homeschools every day. And, you know, this idea we're like, oh, I can just call a pastor's wife and at a drop of a, you know, uh, I don't even know what that phrase is. Just whenever she's going to do whatever. No, she's not. And half the time, my wife wants to, and she's like, hey, honey, can I, you know, so-and-so, and I'm just like, no, because I'm just not going to let people take advantage of her and just think, and by the way, let me, let me go ahead, because I'm, I'm already, I'm already past my time, and you already lost interest in this sermon, so let me go ahead and just rant on a few things. The staff at Verity Baptist Church, let me explain something to you. The staff at Verity Baptist Church does not work for Verity Baptist Church. They work for me. They don't work for you. They work for me. Now, I work for you. That's okay. I'll grant you that. But they're not here to serve you. They're here to help me serve you. So don't think, oh, I just caught Brother Stuckey and he's going to, or I'm just going to tell Miss JC and she's going to take it. No, 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 no. They work to help me. They don't work for you. They're not your personal assistant. We, these are just things people need to understand. And as the church begins to grow, they were hired to help me in the ministry that God has given me. You say, well, that sounds arrogant. Well, you need to just get right with God. But... <laughs> If you're going to help new believers get connected, all right, don't be highly critical about false doctrines or sin that they may be involved in or things. I'm not talking about, you know, they're killing people. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just amazed, like, people are just like, do you know so-and-so smokes? Like, tons of people smoke. Are you serious? You know, like, look, it's amazing to me because there's so many churches that don't reach new people. And people come to our church sometimes, and they're just like, you know, there are people in your church that aren't saved. Hey, Jesus had someone in his church that wasn't saved. It was called Judas Iscariot. You know, well, people in your church, they don't all have all the standards. That's because we're reaching new people. That's because they're growing. Look, sometimes guys are going to walk into church, and their hair is going to be longer than I think it should be. Or ladies are going to walk into church and their skirts are going to be shorter than I think they should be. I get that. But look, they're new babies. We just need to love them and help them. And we'll preach the word of God to them. We won't compromise that. We'll teach them what the Bible says and they'll grow in their time. But our job is not to sit there and just be highly critical about people. If you're going to befriend them, then just befriend them and love them. And if you can't do that, then just do me a favor and don't. Because we don't need to be fighting with each other and looking at people and saying, well, did you know so-and-so? Just don't help, because it's not a help. Go to John 15, look at verse 16. We'll finish up. John 15, verse 16. John 15, verse 16. Say, so why, why do you preach this sermon? I preach this sermon because I want our soul winners to be soul winners that are not just getting people saved so they can mark it on a bulletin somewhere, but that they're effective at getting people in church and getting people connected and helping people 
to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John chapter number 15, look at verse number 16. John chapter 15 and verse 16, notice what the Bible says. Jesus said this, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit. That's what God called us to do. He ordained us to go and bring forth fruit, notice this, and that your fruit should remain. That it, that it will stick with you. That you'll bring it with you. That whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Think about this. This last week, our church had 48 soul winners out. That's a great number. I mean, there's churches, I mean, I went to churches where there was 200 people there, they had five people out soul winning. I mean, we had 30, 48 soul winners out, and you said, well, 18 of them were kids. Okay, 30 of them were adults. I mean, think about this. What if 12 months from now, 30 adults from Verity Baptist Church not only became soul, we're not only, they're already soul winners. We're not only soul winners, but we're effective at follow-up, and they just 12 months from now, 30 adults had one adult with them at Verity Baptist Church that they got saved, that they brought to church, that they got baptized, that they helped grow, that they helped connect. I mean, imagine, imagine what would happen if we grew by 30 adults in 12 months. That's amazing. And then if we did it again, and again, and again. See, it's not about just soul winning, like, let's get somebody saved. It's about having fruit, yes, but fruit that remains. So hopefully this lesson kind of helps you. Because look, I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my time doing something and then get to heaven and God. I want to get to heaven and get that crown of rejoicing, whether it's a physical crown or just someone that's with me. Say, this is my convert. This is someone I got saved. God and I co-labored and gave birth to so-and-so. And then we raised them together. And we helped them together. And we nurtured them together. And then they went and did the same thing. That's our goal at Verity Baptist Church. That ought to be your goal. You ought to work towards that goal. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.